So if you want to go ahead and open up to Genesis 3, that's really the text we're going to be spending almost all of our time in. Um, Genesis chapter 3, and the thought behind this lesson was, we did, or I did, kind of a lesson with, and in that lesson last week, I tried to do an overview of kind of the whole book of Genesis, which was a lofty endeavor. Um, it ended up being kind of a long lesson, and I'm not, I skipped over a lot of parts, so I'm not really sure how well that went over, but minimally I tried to do it. And, uh, but the idea for this week was, well, I tried to do an overview of Genesis last week, and now this time I wanted to pull a lesson from Genesis to maybe kind of uh, help us see an application out of Genesis that maybe we haven't considered before. If you have, maybe this would be encouragement to kind of consider it again. So Genesis chapter 3, kind of what I wanted to spend time talking about this morning is God's questions to Adam and Eve. And um, in Genesis chapter 3, it comes at an interesting time. It comes actually immediately following a breaking of one of the commandments he had given them. Um, they really, as far as I can tell, had three commandments. Two positive, one negative, and that, I mean, keep the garden and work it, Right? Then they had, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they also had the other positive commandment, um, which is now I'm going blank on it. My, Huh? What was it? I just blanked out on it completely. Well, oh well. There's a third one in there. I promise there is. Um, anyway, they had these commandments, right? And um, they break one of them, and that is not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And after they do that, um, the devil had tempted them to do this. And after they do it, God comes to them, presents himself to them. And it's perhaps if you're reading for the first time, I think it's not really how you'd expect him to come. I mean, you see him as the creator of everything in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Genesis chapter 2 kind of takes a step back and gives you a more in-depth look of how he created man and woman. And so you imagine this all-powerful creator coming the way he comes in chapter 3 after somebody defies him. It's kind of a weird thing. You expect him to say, all right. You know, in my eyes, I expect him to say, your creation is done. You are dead. You know, you're not my creation anymore. But he comes with questions. And I think we see some things in the questions that really show us, even from the very beginning of our time as humanity begins, God has presented himself the same way, and he's wanted the same things. And so we'll look in Genesis chapter 3 for that. So James actually read for us a large chunk of the verses we're going to look at this morning. And so I'm not going to read those again, but I'm going to deal with them kind of in sections. Uh, so beginning in verse... Uh, really in verse 9 is the first question that I want us to look at. But the, the questions we're going to hit are, where are you? Asked in Genesis 3 verse 9. God asked that question, where are you? The second question he asks is, who told you that you were naked? And that's verse 11. The third question he asks is also in verse 11, and it says, have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? That's his third question. And his fourth and final question in this instance is in verse 13. It says, what is this that you've done? 
Right, so those are the four prompts or questions that God asks. Um, and I want us to look at each one kind of individually and see what we can pull out of that. So the first question, where are you, um, is an interesting question, especially if we consider that God is the creator. He seems to be all-powerful. We see that in chapter 1. He seems to be all-knowing because he created without referring to any kind of book or manual on how to do it, right? He just spoke it into existence. Um, and so it comes curiously, and I think if you're, imagine you don't know anything about God or anything about salvation or anything spiritual, and you come to Genesis and you start reading. So in Genesis 1, you find out this God guy, he created everything, and he did it by speaking. Well, then in Genesis chapter 3, you're like, all right, this Adam and Eve, they broke God's law. How's he going to respond to this? And then you see him ask the question, where are you? And you wonder, why is he asking that? He knows exactly where they are. So there's got to be another reason why he asked that question. I mean, he's in the garden. It's the only place they could have been. So he knows where they are. And so I think it leads us to a kind of a natural conclusion of if God knew where they were, he meant something deeper. And I think this was for them to kind of, they can hear him. And he says, where are you? And I think they need to kind of think about themselves like, where are we? What are we doing right now? And we'll look at verse 9 with me again. Uh, well, let's begin in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid himself from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And that's when God calls out, where are you? You know, they've broken this commandment of the Lord, and they know they've broken it. And they know they've done something wrong. In fact, they're hiding from God as he's walking around. And so it's interesting that as God's walking around, he says, where are you? Well, what, what's their answer if you're Adam and Eve? You're like, is he going to find us? Is he going to find us? He asks, where are you? And you think about it, well, I'm hiding in some bushes or behind some trees. Why am I doing this? You know, you've got to kind of ask yourself, well, why am I behind these bushes or these trees? And I think that's God's point. God wanted Adam and Eve to stop hiding and kind of address what's going on, right? I, I feel like that's kind of what he's getting at. Where are you? Like, why are you hiding from me? Um... And so I want us to look at some other examples, kind of the same thing. We're not going to turn there, but think about maybe the story of Jonah. When God gives Jonah a task, and he breaks that task by saying, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go the Ninevites. I'm going to go the opposite direction. He gets on a boat and basically tries to sail away from his job. And God causes all this storm to happen. He gets tossed overboard at his own suggestion. Um, and gets swallowed by a big fish, and this whole ordeal, right? And basically Jonah's realization is, I've sinned against the Lord, and I need to do what he asked me to do. Well, that was kind of the realization that he had to come to, is Jonah needed to be like, what am I doing? Where am I right now? I'm going the opposite direction of what God's commanded. Think about, we mentioned it this morning in Bible class, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12 with Nathan and David. David had done a bunch of stuff, and Nathan came, asked, came with questions, basically trying to get him to see, where are you right now? What have you done? That's the way God has always wanted people to think through things. He doesn't come, you know, we don't, and I think this is intentional, he doesn't come with fire and brimstone. He doesn't come, you know, with a sword looking for them to cut him down. He comes with questions, helping them realize, where are you? What are you doing? Think through the things that you're doing. But look at Adam and Eve's response to God's question in verse 10. They hear him ask, in verse 10 they, they cry out, or they say, 
I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. I was naked, and I hid myself. It seems like they realized kind of where they were, literally, but they indicate where they were spiritually. They were afraid because God had come. Well, why were they afraid? Because they had known what they had done. You know, don't we, we kind of do that sometimes? And I think the kind of the application in this for us is, you know, when we know we've done something wrong, do we try to hide from God kind of in a way? Um, you know, we might not have God walking around in a garden with us, but in a sense, when we've done, some, when we've done something wrong, that's the time I don't really want to go read the Bible because I know what it's going to say to me. Or like, when I've done something wrong, I kind of don't want to talk to God in prayer right now because I'm kind of on shaky ground and I know I'm going to feel worse when I do. You know, I know like he's going to be looking at me thinking, you still have, you know, repented of that thing you did. We try to do the same kinds of things Adam and Eve did. Um, you know, we cease studying, we cease praying. Maybe, in fact, we stop doing things or we start doing other things. Maybe we start... I don't know. Here's an extreme example. We start drinking. You know, it's like, I know I did something wrong and I don't want to think about it. So I'm going to start drinking or using drugs or something. That's kind of an extreme example. Or maybe we stop worshiping. You know, maybe we're like, ah, I'm not in good standing with God, so I'm just going to stay away from kind of the place where I feel like He is. Um, we do these kinds of things just like Adam and Eve did. Um, and do you. Do you really feel like from the text, if you've read this story or if you've read other parts of the Bible, that's really what God, God desires in a situation like that? Does He desire for us to hide? Well, the fact that He even comes asking, where are you, I think reveals to us God's desire is not for us to hide from whatever we've done, but to kind of come out and own up to it, come show ourselves to God. Really, turn with me to Psalm 32. I think this pretty well embodies kind of the message that I get from Genesis uh, with Adam and Eve here. Genesis, or Psalm 32, and we'll read verses 3 through 7. Beginning in verse 3 of Psalm 32, this is David speaking. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. So really, in David's time of trouble, his kind of initial reaction, in a way, was to keep silent and kind of, in a sense, hide, right? Like, I don't really want to present myself at this time. But God kind of laid his hand on him and made it heavy, kind of like you see in Genesis, right? God calls out to them, and they know. They know they've done something wrong. Well, what ultimately ends up being the solution for David in this psalm? Kind of the counterintuitive thing, right? Present yourself to God, and He's your hiding place, right? The time when you think that God, you should hide from God because you've done something wrong, He offers Himself as a place of hiding, a place of comfort. Um, and so I think God is really setting up this precedent in Genesis. At the very beginning, the first time somebody does something wrong, He's saying, come to me. 
you know, where are you now? You need to be over here with me. Um, and so that's something that I get out of this first question of where are you? As God's trying to help Adam and Eve see literally where they are, but spiritually what they're doing, right? They're hiding from Him when they should be presenting themselves before Him. Um, and look at verse 12 also. I think this is something else that we do when God asks us, where are we? Verse 12 says, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. It's kind of this sense of like shifting blame, right? Like when we do something wrong, we kind of want to, that was Angela, or that was Richard. Richard really kind of presented that idea to me. I'm just following what he was saying. You know, we do that. Uh, But even in Psalm 32, right, it says you kind of need to own up to what's going on, right? In verse 5, I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, right? Times where it kind of might be counterintuitive to tell God, like, I did this wrong thing, and it was totally me that chose to do that. Really, God says, just tell me about it. You know, come, come hide in me and tell me what you did. And it's not until David does that in Psalm 32 that things begin to go well, right? He says, I decided I'm going to confess to the Lord. I will confess my transgression. In verse 6, he's like, man, let everyone do this. Let everyone who's godly offer prayer to you at a time where you may be found. Well, that's where Adam and Eve were. God may be found in the garden at that time, and they needed to present themselves to him. So that's kind of the first question. Uh, Where are you that God asks? And that's what I see kind of happening spiritually there and kind of the application for it. Um, The second question in verse 11 reads, Uh, Your translation might read it a little differently, but it basically says, who told you that you were naked? Uh, And to me, this really indicates a need to kind of evaluate a source. You know, where are you getting your information from? Who told you that you were naked? Um, Were they naked? Yeah, I mean, it seems to indicate that they were naked. God, in fact, later clothed them. Uh, So, were they wrong in their conclusion that they were naked. Well, I think it's pretty obvious that they weren't wrong concluding that they were naked, but who told you you were naked? Who told you that? Um, And if you really evaluate kind of where they get that answer from, you could make an argument for the serpent here, but really it seems to be Adam and Eve kind of told themselves they were naked after they broke God's commandment, right? And so are you relying on kind of what you know and what you're thinking Are you relying on what God has set up in his thinking? Um, And so in this second question, God wanted Adam and Eve to think about where they got their information. Um, And there's kind of a a primary question that is subsequent to that. Why would he ask that? Well, Genesis chapter 1 kind of tells us God is the only source of right and wrong. Um, It wasn't for them to decide anything, right? It wasn't for them to know of themselves anything. That's kind of why he set up the commandments, not to eat of the knowledge of uh, good and evil. Because he was telling them what was good and what was evil. Genesis chapter 1, if you go through it, and I think we pointed this out last week when we were doing the overview. Every time God creates, almost every single time, um, he speaks something into existence. Look at verse 4 of chapter 1, just kind of as a, an example. God saw that the light was good, right? 
God spoke something into existence that was exactly as he intended it to be, and he deemed it good, right? And so chapter 3 to me is saying they should have trusted that God was the source of what was good and what was evil or what was right and what was wrong. He could give them that information. Really, God wants us to do the same. I think this is the application for us. Um, You know, whenever we hear anything in life, or whenever we decide anything in life, why are we deciding it and who are we deciding that from? Is it my reasoning just because I thought up something? Is it because I heard Herbie say something and it sounds good and I agree with kind of what she's thinking, so I'm going to go with that? Or is it because I know that God said that also? You know, I can trust what Angela says if I know what Angela said is from God, right? Really, it just boils back down to being, is God the source of what what we understand is true or not? Uh, You can turn here if you want to. Matthew chapter 5 illustrates this idea. Um, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus presents a lot of contrasts in a way he says you've heard it said but i say to you you've heard it said but i say to you it was said of old but i say some of these are contrasts some of these almost seem like kind of emphasis emphasis is being placed on what but the key that i see in this is you've heard it said but i'm saying right and you see that all through the new testament people think one thing god says another thing People want to do something, God does another thing. So in this second question, we have to evaluate our source. Just like in Matthew chapter 5, they had to at least think about why they thought something. Are you thinking that because God said it, or are you thinking that because the Pharisees said it? Or the prophets or the scribes of your day say it? Uh, We have to evaluate our sources. And, you know, that goes for a lot of things. You know, in a spiritual setting, obviously, we made that application just now. But, like, where do you go for your spiritual guidance? Kind of a more general question. Um, Do you base your spiritual thoughts or theology or your ideals on books that you read? You know, do you base it on kind of, like, the friends that you keep? Kind of what they think? Do you base it on the movies that you watch? You know, I watched this one movie that kind of had this thing, and I liked that, so I go with that. I mean, we... It sounds silly, maybe, some of these, but we've done it in ways. We know people who do it. Uh, We need to evaluate our sources. We need to be honest with kind of what we're placing our our emphasis and value in. Do we place our emphasis on what God is saying, like Adam and Eve should have done? Or do they listen to the serpent in themselves and what seemed good? Second Timothy 3 2 Timothy 3, I'll read this passage, it's just a short one. 2 Timothy 3, 15, I think this tells us, um, I don't know if you guys have noticed this or not, but we're not in an exactly equal situation with Adam and Eve. Uh, We're not really in a garden anymore, and God isn't really literally walking around with us. So we have some differences with Adam and Eve. We might look at Adam and Eve and be like, I don't have God walking through getting ready to tell me exactly what to do, right? That's kind of our dilemma. But really, it's not a dilemma when we look at passages like this one. In 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, 
And it's picking up in the middle of a sentence, so I'll begin in 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and I firmly believe knowing that from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. God knew, you know, that he wasn't going to be walking around with people in a garden for every generation, ready to give the answer. So he prepared for that. He allowed us to have a way to still know what the source says about something. Um, and so as we wonder, you know, when we evaluate our sources in life, God tells us we can trust the Bible as a source of what to do, of a right and wrong kind of thing. And we can go to it and say, I don't really know how to handle this situation. What does the Bible say about it? And ultimately that means what does God say about it? Um, so that's the second question. The first one was, where are you? Teaching us to kind of, uh, I guess if we want to phrase it this way, where are you kind of shows us we need to address our sins and our troubles with God. We need to not run from them. The second question of who told you that you were naked kind of shows us that we need to really think seriously about the source of our information. Is it from God? Is it from Scripture? Is it from something else? The third question, um, or the third one that we're going to address here is recognize the consequences. Recognize the consequences. Um, and that really has to deal with question number four, right? What is this you have done? Um, and I forgot to say this earlier on, but owning their sin, not hiding from God, really encompassed the first and third questions. Have you eaten from the tree? And where are you? Um, so this last one, recognize the consequences. God asked this question in Genesis 3.13. If you're still in Genesis uh, and you want to look at verse 13, God, or it says, Then the Lord God said to woman, what is this you have done? And the woman actually responds. She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. This to me seems kind of like, I don't want to place an importance or a weight over any of these questions. I think they're all really important. But this to me is kind of the, the climactic question. You know, you see, you don't need to run from me. You know, who told you that? But ultimately, this question has ramifications for a long time. To me, this says you need to recognize kind of the, the consequences of your decisions. What is this you've done? Well, to her, she said, well, I was deceived and I ate. But immediately after that, God says, no, 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 you're not seeing the big picture here. It's going to have waves. It's going to have effects that go out for a long time. You know, to her it seemed simple. Well, I broke your commandment and I ate some fruit. You know, not a big deal, right? The tree's going to grow some more. But God says, all the way, I mean, from verse 14 all the way through verse 19 are the, the consequences rippling out from this one thing. From the one thing that she did. God wanted Adam and Eve to recognize that their sin has consequences. Um, and those verses, God immediately reveals those consequences um, to their decision that they made. Do you think that's something that God wants us to understand as well? 
that our decisions have consequences, especially the ones that go directly against his will. God, in fact, sets up consequences. He makes it so that when we break commandments or we break promises and things of his will, that there will be consequences. He set it up that way. Um, And I think that's to show us when we start realizing, hey, there's consequences to the decisions I'm making that are not fun and not happy. That should serve as a directive to say, I must be messing something up. You know, that minimally tells me I'm not doing something right here. And God did that so that we, like Adam and Eve, will be aware of the decisions we make. And we'll be conscious of right and wrong. You know, sometimes there's we make a decision. Who knows why we make a decision? I look back at decisions I made and I say, I have no idea why I did that. Sometimes I can look back at a decision and be like, I know why I did that, but that was a terrible reasoning. <laughs> and, or I might look back at something and be like, I'd probably do that again. You know, like, it was a good decision, I'd probably do that again. But sometimes in our decisions we see immediate, very immediate repercussion. Um, again, I use an extreme example, maybe, just to draw a clear point here. Um, if I decide to start at the beginning, and I decide to hide from God, and maybe in my hiding from God, I take up drinking, you know, because I don't want to think about where I am. So I take up drinking. The immediate repercussion may be that I go driving, and I get in a wreck and hurt somebody. You know, that might be an immediate repercussion. I get drunk, I injure someone or myself. Pretty immediate, serious consequence, right? That's fairly evident to you and to other people. Um... But what about the time that, you know, I make a decision against God's will that isn't so immediately hurtful? You know, what about the time that I make a decision that really doesn't hurt anyone else, it just hurts me? You know, for instance, I do something that, uh, you know, I'm dishonest in my dealings at work and nobody ever finds out about it. You know, I lie to my boss or I cheat my company with some finances or, you know, something. Well, you that may never get found out. But it's obviously an improper decision. God values, and there's tons of verses we could point to, honesty. He values hard work. He values, um, you know, we could go through all kinds of lists here. An immediate consequence spiritually sometimes is a need to repent. We see Adam and Eve needed to come to God. Kind of like David in Psalm 32, he confessed his iniquity to the Lord. That was an immediate thing he had to do because of a decision he made. He needed to, maybe sometimes we need to repent. Maybe sometimes we're humiliated by a decision we make. Maybe sometimes our reputation's ruined, at least for a time. You know, people don't trust us anymore. Something like that. We're known as a busybody or we're known as a liar. Maybe someone, like I said earlier, gets hurt physically or spiritually by something we do. Immediate repercussions. Example again, 2 Samuel 11 and 12, uh, dealing with David. He had some very immediate repercussions to the realization of his sin. One, he needed to repent. He recognized a broken relationship with the Lord and needed to be forgiven of that. Two, what happened to the 
child conceived with Bathsheba. That kid paid with his life for the decision that David had made. We also remember Uriah paid with his life for a greedy decision that David made, even though he was faithful, and according to other passages, he was apparently one of David's mighty men. Uh, I mean, we see ungodly, selfish decisions have these ripple effects for yourself, for other people. And I think God is teaching that to us in Genesis, right at the beginning. What is this you've done? Where she says, well, I was deceived and ate some fruit. And God says, no. And he curses the serpent. The serpent's going to have to be on his belly and eat dust, and his head's going to be crushed by the heel of woman. And the heel will be bruised. Then woman's going to have pain in childbearing. She's going to be subservient to man, her or her husband. Her desire shall be for him. Man will have to work the ground from the sweat of his brow all the days of his life, thorns and thistles. I mean, just some... I mean, if you had asked Eve, what were the repercussions of this? Who knows what she would have said, but would she have said all the things that God said? I doubt it. She wouldn't have said, well, yeah, generations and generations are going to feel this. You know, this is not... This is going to affect me. This is going to affect my husband, my kids. I say all that to say... From the very beginning, God asked questions when people messed up. God asks us the same questions when we mess up. You know, why are you why are you not owning up to your sin? What what source what's the source of your information with the, the decision you made? And what is this going to mean for you and for other people around you? Those are kind of three questions with every decision we have to consider. And hopefully, kind of like what 2 Timothy 3.15 through 17 said, we would use God's word to prompt our decision making. We would use God's word to kind of model how we decide and what we decide. And ultimately, we use that because that's God helping us decide and helping us model our decision. There are consequences for our sins long term. There's a bunch of passages that we could turn to for this again. I just turned to Revelation um, chapter 21. If you want to look there with me, you can. Revelation 21. Otherwise, I'm going to read it and you can just listen to it. That's fine too. Um, I like this passage just because it's kind of a succinct passage. Very concise in how it just says this. Um, but in verse, we'll really begin um, at the end of verse 6, where it says, To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. So those who desire the water of life, as God says, those who are thirsty for it, God's going to give it free of payment. Just like he said back in Isaiah, um, Come who thirst, you who are weary, and I will give you drink. We see that happening in Revelation 21 here. But continuing on, verse 7, The one who conquers will have this inheritance, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But then look at verse 8. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Ultimately, God points to kind of a final <laughs> 
repercussion of bad decisions if we don't change them. If we don't do what we need to do to say, kind of like David, I confess my iniquity to the Lord and I find my hiding place in you, is that God will make the final or the last repercussion this one. He'll make it this lake of fire. He'll make it this one that burns with sulfur and fire. And he calls it the second death. You know, It's pointed for man to die once, but we don't have to die a second time unless we fail to learn the lessons of Genesis 3 and we hide from God and we don't think about the source of our information. And ultimately, we don't realize the repercussion of the decisions we make. So that's the lesson that I had from Genesis chapter 3. Um, hopefully,